0: This episode of Uncultured, the podcast is brought to you by Chit Chat. Treat your guests to a modern Indian fusion braising table at your next event. Is this thing on? Cool. The next episode of Uncultured the Podcast. I'm your host, Kripper. Hit out a little bit of color to your weeks. This week's guest is the amazing Noelle Sari. Noelle has risen to meteoric influencing stardom as a modest fashion influencer. She has 234,000 followers at the time of recording. She's a model, activist, and fashion enthusiast. But this for Noelle has not come easy. In an Australia that hasn't always accepted hijabi women, Noelle has had to grapple with her identity as a mixed race hijabi woman in Western Sydney. So without further ado, here's Noelle. Noelle, thank you so much for joining us at Uncultured the Podcast. I'm absolutely honoured to be interviewing you. Uh, Especially during lockdown, where you know there's not a lot of exciting things happening, so this is the highlight of my week. (laughs)
1: Likewise, this is the first thing I've done all week. So
0: amazing! I'm glad. I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad we're keeping each other, keeping each other happy in lockdown.
1: (laughs) I know we're good. We're on the same wavelength.
0: I'm. I am. I've been obsessed with you for a very long time, and I think what you do is awesome. The work that you've done in modest fashion and influencing for hijabi women has been amazing. And thank you. I'm, I'm really excited to hear where everything started.
1: Well, I put the hijab on when I was 15. I was in year 10. And for me, I was at this point in life where I have always been like a little fashionista. I've always loved fashion. And I thought once I put the hijab on, I had to leave that behind because mm. I didn't see women who looked like me pursuing that industry. So when I was 15, I thought, I'm ready to wear the hijab. I already dressed fairly modestly regardless. I was always wearing like three quarter or covering my knees because that's just how I've always dressed. So I was like, you know what? I'm ready for this. The next step. So then in year 10, I put the hijab on, which is a whole nother story within itself of like high school experience with that. But um, imagine and I kind of got into this headspace of like, okay, now I have to leave behind my fashionista side and put that on pause tell me what
0: being a fashionista meant to you before making the decision to you know put the hijab on because Mm -hmm. obviously until you were 15 you would have had a whole bunch of different passions tell me what life was like prior to making that pivotal decision
1: yeah well I, I think like most young girls who love fashion it was like one making sure every Eid was like my best dress time of the year every time I was so obsessed with shopping and then it was I loved fashion films I wanted to go to like New York Paris London fashion weeks I wanted to wear the designers and like I didn't come from an environment where I was like flooded with a designer and high-end brands so it was like it was something that I was like in the future I want to be that girl I want to just Mm -hmm. be like that and just indulge myself into fashion in every part of my life. I want to to be around it. I want to wear it. I want everything. And I wanted to be a fashion designer. I had my mom buy me a sewing machine, I think when I was like 12 or 13. Oh my God. So all my clothes, like it was like, this is my thing. And then, yeah, it was like this age when I turned 15, 16, 17, where I newly put the hijab on. And I think I had a massive identity crisis in being a Muslim woman a mixed Muslim woman in the sense of my mom's Australian, my dad's Lebanese, and then being a hijabi Muslim woman and then being a woman. Um, And I thought, well, what makes sense for me as a Muslim woman now is to do an office job because it's safe. I don't know why I thought like that. I think it was just my conditioning because I didn't see anyone pursue anything creative wearing the hijab. Um, And I remember... Even with university, I was like, well, I'm going to do uh, something political or humanitarian because they'll want people who look like
0: me. Do you you know that quote that's like, um, my existence is resistance or like my existence is political just because you look a certain way doesn't mean that you suddenly definitely have to fit into this box of this is your career path ahead of you.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. So. It was like that. So I think, um, yeah, I put on hold the fashionist aside. Even when I was styling myself as a newly hijabi, I was wearing stuff in my mom's wardrobe and I thought I had to strictly shop from Muslim brands or hijabi stores, which back then were like maybe two stores in like Liverpool Westfields. And it was yeah. repetitive, looked exactly the same. It was just very boring. hard to stand out. Exactly, that was a thing. I thought now I don't stand out. Now I don't try to be myself. Now I fall into a box
0: mm. of a community
1: of women which I then realized was so different and so many people are so different.
0: What was your kind of relationship to religion prior to making the decision and like what led to making that decision and how did your yeah. relationship with religion change? I know that's a really packed question.
1: I was raised in a fairly religious household. And my family in general are fairly religious, and I was raised more religious than I was cultural. Mm. um So my family kind of put values into me about, well, if like my dad would always say, it's the it Quran says you can do it, then you can do it. And if it says you can't, then you can't. Like that's just what he told me. He didn't get mm. it mixed up with cultural traditions, which I think is a good thing because I had friends who couldn't do things based on like the pressures of being um, a woman from a certain community, but it, their religion let them do it so it was like my parents were a bit different um and then even with me wearing the hijab my parents never told me I had to wear it um I was just like I want to wear it and even when I did put it on my dad was like are you sure do you Mm -hmm.
0: want
1: to are you 100% and I was like yes I want to do this and it ended up fine um I'm having a bad hijab day today actually um
0: uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's like it looks good
1: Thanks. It's slipping off. Uh, when I did decide to put the hijab on, I was one hundred percent sure, and it fit well into my lifestyle. Which my is mum wore, as I said,
0: yeah. Which is, um, it, it's so ironic that the that the stereotype is that oh, it's it's oppressive. Actually, the fact that you're telling me not to wear it is oppressive because it's a choice exactly. you made.
1: Exactly. And I think. I was only ever surrounded by stories of women who made the decision themselves. So when I heard that narrative, it was like, where? What's going on? And I realized that, you know, that there are some women who have a bad story with it. I mean, as many things in life. But yeah, I was just always, every woman I knew was like, I I chose to wear the hijab today. And everyone's like, yay. And I was like, that's such a good thing. And then your mom would buy you some like fun hijab colors. And then your aunties would be proud of you. Like, it was just that's how it was like in the community that I was from. Um, So yeah, when it got, when I got older and I heard, you know, the hijab is oppressive to women and it's because a man doesn't, because a man doesn't want to look at you and because um, we have to cover our beauty. I was like, what, (laughs) where is this coming from? And the narrative's coming from people who love telling women what to do. We're done with it. Don't tell us, to cover and don't tell us to uncover, leave us alone.
0: How did being half Australian play into, um, play into it? Did you feel like, I mean, you said your mum wears a hijab, so I guess that might've played into it differently, but did you feel any different because of being half?
1: Yeah, I think I did. It's always been a part of me since I was like in primary school. It wasn't like it hit me later then it became an issue. It was like, it was always there with whether I, like, even brought it up or not. Um, in primary school, it was I was the Australian girl or I was the the white, mm. the English girl. And I was like, okay, because I got the freckles, no mm. worries, got it. And then when I went to high school and I was surrounded by people who were very multicultural, I was the Arab or the Muslim. And I was like, okay, so things have changed now. Um, And then when I hung around people from a Middle Eastern community, then I wasn't Middle Eastern enough. So it was like, I never felt placement, kind of always jumped around friend groups as well. I never felt peace within like a few people because as I was changing and finding myself, I just didn't feel a sense of belonging so when I was adjusting to my Middle Eastern side and my Arab culture and feeling like no it's okay and I can accept this is who I am and I don't know absolutely everything I don't know how to speak the language but I still belong in it it was like now how do I hang around people who are on the same wavelength as me because you know like you hang around people who are Muslim and you're like okay we can connect we have the same morals oh you guys are all speaking Arabic and I have no idea what you're saying and I'm being left out cool I'm gonna go hang out on my friends who are on the same wavelength as well. But then it's like, but then our morals don't connect up because I can't go to parties every weekend and I can't relate to you about like kissing boys after school. So then it's like, where do I find myself? And I don't think I did until after high school. It was always something that was like, which side am I going to show more of? Even like my music taste or like how I dress, it was like, oh, that's because you're like your mom's white. I didn't find comfort in it until after school when I wasn't around kids who were trying to find themselves as well and making it
0: Mm. chaotic.
1: What made you
0: kind of find your place?
1: I think social media was a big part in that because it opened up a whole community of Muslim women who are so diverse and it showed me that, like, I'm very normal and, like, there are a lot of people like me who have the same experiences, um, which is amazing. But I also think fashion was a big outlet for me because when I was thrift shopping and spending time alone and like finding styles I liked and exploring the industry, it was like overwhelmingly, oh, this is where I want to be. And this is who I am. And this is where I belong. And I feel comfort in this. And my chaotic identity makes sense here.
0: I mean, I can imagine what that identity crisis would have looked like. And I, I, I think it's it's amazing that you had fashion to guide you. You mentioned that you kind of left fashion behind because you were now going to the safe lifestyle of working in an office, seeing what was expected of you because you were excluded from mainstream media and mainstream influencing. What? Why do you think... Modest fashion is viewed as oppressive.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's many things. I think it's the lack of authentic representation given to Muslim communities or given to Muslim countries, even. I think it's just this whole idea of the media villainizing things that they don't find normal or comfortable because it goes against Western norms. What Muslim women do or Muslim men do is just so chaotic to people because it's just different to them. They haven't safely sat down and looked into it. I think it's just a whole bunch of chaos that's left online and through social media for so long that's so damaging. Um, and as a Muslim woman, it infuriated me growing up I remember having so much resentment at a young age towards the media, which is like not normal, like being in year six and year seven and being like, I hate Channel 9, I hate Channel." like talking like this because I was like, they always put pictures of Muslim women dressed all black and a man, Muslim man did something and then it was terrorist attacks and all these things and I was like, why isn't anyone just passing the mic to a Muslim to ch- to chat about anything good and progressive. Look, why is it always looking like this? And because of that, it led people like me to have issues in high school and primary school with bullying because yeah. these kids came to school with all these ideas in their heads that they watched on last night's news and their parents were feeding them and then they were projecting that on me. And it was like, I, they were, I mean, there's so much racial bullying in high school, but there's religious bullying about things that I'm like, what even is going on right now is like weird. Yeah. Cause I remember having kids in school mock the prophet and then throw a bag at me saying that there's a bomb inside and then putting a towel on their head and like, it's all these things. And I was like, I didn't even have the hijab on at this time as well. And I was so angry and I thought I had to fight back for myself until I told my dad, and he told the school, and then, you know, the the principal got involved. But all these things, and now I look when I, as I'm older, I'm like these kids were just projecting what they were consuming
0: yeah. from
1: either their parents or from the media, and it's like, can I even blame them? Like they were so young, and the toll but... it would
0: take on you, and exactly probably this is a really common story for a lot of uh, Muslim school kids it's not normal to have to have your parents get involved and your principal get involved. Like that's not something that everyone can relate to, but I can imagine it's really common in Muslim communities.
1: My school as well was fairly multicultural, but there weren't a lot of Muslims or like visibly Muslim people. So I think that was a massive part in as well because of those incidents and like even things about like being Arab and then teasing body hair and all those things. And I'm like, oh, my God. When does it stop? But yeah. um, it so kind of it shaped me, me, so that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess that's what, one side of it. When did you feel like you could, when did you reclaim it? Because you have, like, absolutely 180'd and mm-hmm. um, reclaimed everything that you've gone through. What kind of propelled you into that? Hmm. I
1: think... I think for me, it was I have so much resentment against the media, the media industry, and I thought, okay, I'm getting a chance to have a play in that. I'm getting a chance to, you know, actually say my perspective and my experiences from a positive light. Into Australian media or the creative industry. And I thought, I need to do this because it's never happened before, which is crazy. Because I remember seeing the UK and the US doing it way before us, having hijabi Muslim women in part of mainstream campaigns. And then with Australia, it was you're lucky to even get paid the full rate for an online collaboration at the time. So it was like, if I can keep pushing and pushing and getting my voice out there to talk on behalf of my community and shed positive representation then that's what I'm going to do so that's where i've been and i mean it's definitely made a difference with not only myself but other muslim creatives um so that's incredible and it's crazy to me because i remember like even working in retail and seeing the same type of people in the com- campaigns all the time and then now i think a young muslim girl can walk into like for example when i collaborate with hype and i thought they can walk in store and see a hijabi muslim woman who's happy to be there and is you know fully 100% on board she wants to do this she's in that campaign she's smiling she's wearing those pairs of shoes and you can also wear those pairs of shoes and it was like small impact that i think yeah. would i realized makes such a difference i thought brown hair was diverse when i was younger like yeah.
0: <laughs> it's Doesn't funny. Happen. I think brown hair or black hair, brown and black hair is like the most common.
1: Like I'd be like, "Oh, the girl with the brown hair and the bushy eyebrows. Wow.
0: <laughs> I connect with her. Like, no, I, I I I get you." And I I I guess it's it's underestimated how powerful it is to see someone who looks like you on a mainstream campaign. While we take a break in the middle of this episode with Noel Sari on Uncultured the Podcast, I am so excited to announce our next sponsor for this episode. Are you bored of having the same desi food at every event you go to? Sydney's Indian catering scene hasn't seen any variety in so many years. At least not until Chit Chat. Chit Chat is changing the Indian food catering game one event at a time with their modern Indian fusion grazing tables. The first of their kind in Sydney. You guys, be prepared to salivate. I was actually fangirling to be working with these guys on this episode because I've tried their food and I'm telling you, you are not going to regret it. Their carefully curated menu combines delicious Indian flavors with ease and accessibility of finger food. Imagine fried butter chicken sliders, chana masala tacos, vada baos, a twist on the traditional vada pav, katori charts, and so much more. And don't worry if you're vegan like moi, You're covered as well. These guys are so accommodating and their service is impeccable. It is 2021 and it is time we say goodbye to blandness and hello to flavor. There is absolutely no need to be settling for cheese boards and chatoochery boards. I can't even say it. I can't even say chatoochery. ch 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 We're not settling for second best. We're pledging to get chit-chat for every event. Reach out to them on Instagram at Chit Chart Co. that's c-h-i-t-c-h-a-a-t-c-o or you can visit their website www.chitchartco.com to check out their menu and treat your guests to a modern Indian fusion grazing table at your next event. Thank you so much to Chit Chart for sponsoring this episode and I'm so 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 excited to hear what you guys think of their food. If I haven't convinced you their aesthetic Instagram will. Now back to the episode. Do you think the media has changed and where does it have to change more?
1: Media has definitely changed. Australia is way behind a lot of countries. It's definitely changed though. And I can see, like I go on set and it's me representing modest Muslim, Middle Eastern communities. And then, you know, there'll be a black, brown woman around me, Asian, incredible We're doing good. But then there's a whole nother conversation of are we paying the same rates Mm. for Mm. these people? Are we having people of colour or diverse people behind the scenes? I most often see is never the the case. There'll be diverse people in front and then behind is the same type of people all the time. And I think that's not progressive though.
0: Diverse shows have so much uh, backlash because the people that are making the diverse storylines are not they're just yeah. the same people they're just old white men yeah. and as a result exactly. it's like if you had a brown woman or a hijabi woman or a like gay man in on the board we wouldn't have this issue of misrepresenting a community and like mm-hmm. angering us cuz you're you're yep. branding yourself as this really woke show yeah.
1: And you know who needs to hear that? Netflix.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm thinking um, of like specific shows. Yeah.
1: Netflix. (laughs) Stop taking the hijab off us
0: Mm, all the time. Yeah. So infuriating. That was just really, um, have you watched Elite? I refuse to watch that show. I have heard because, so much bad about it. Yeah, It's, a, it's yeah. so what they do is like once she takes her hijab off, it's like she's empowered and beautiful and like God. it's strong and it's like she was that way at the beginning. It's just that people weren't responding it's to always, her that way. It's always.
1: Every Netflix show I've seen that has a Muslim hijabi woman in it, she takes the hijab off. Or she has a bad relationship with her parents. Mm. She falls in love with a white boy who Mm. is is like such an angel and she's going through so much. Or it's something like, I don't even know, something so rebellious that we're like, why can't you just put a hijabi Muslim woman who's happy, loves her parents, goes to school, loves another Muslim boy, like, hey, that's a fun idea, and just Mm. let her be. Why is it always this? rebellious, chaotic, like, oh my God, so much. But yeah, there's that. And then there's also body representation. And then I think with Muslim women, a lot of companies will put me, for example, and go, yes, diversity. But I'm like, but I'm still white. (laughs) So you need to look into that. We're doing good, but there's so much room for improvement. I want to see diverse hijabis i want to see hijabis of different body types or just muslim women in general or any woman because it's really bad but yeah there's there's a lot of room for improvement
0: definitely i think i think the the front the parts that are facing the public are like yeah tick box all done but you're Mm -hmm. right it's about how people are treated or how people are represented, like the nuances behind it and whether it's actually going to be effective in terms of yeah. making people feel like they're they belong and mm-hmm. representation you're right like where are the black hijabi women where are the bigger like yep. body diverse um women yeah. and I think there's there is a ways to go but that being said you have paved the way for so many people to um to to firstly feel like they belong but also to feel like they they can do what you're doing. Tell me about your relationship with modest fashion. So what did you set out to do with with your kind of interest in fashion post-hijab and what's your fashion sense like?
1: Ooh, um, my initial plan was not this. I didn't even have a plan. I was in uni studying um, international studies. Don't ask me what that is. Never (laughs) really understood it. And then... Um, I went into communications because I found that I have a creative side and I thought I should embrace it. I was striving for something humanitarian, something impactful, something stable. It was really important to me to have financial stability as a Muslim woman for myself. Um, And I thought it was just a side hobby. So I would like model for small businesses and just like, save money and thought, yeah, this is like a side hustle until, you know, I'm good. And I was working like two or three retail jobs at once while studying it sometimes. I think maybe when I got to like 50 or 60K was when I thought if I can work with brands that I adore and combine my personal passions and the idea of representation and my Muslim identity into one, that would be incredible. And I kind of, strived for it but I was still working still studying and I was doing that up until like 100k and then 100k was when I was contacted by a management agency and I was like "Mm, don't know what I'm doing um and then from there things got better but yeah literally it was up until 100k that I was like this is my full-time thing yeah wow which I think I don't know if that's fairly common, but I think maybe it's because I come from a household where my parents were like, don't put all your time into this. Mm. Still yeah. study, finish this, which I ended up doing, so it's fine. But
0: yeah. yeah. I think it's hard to kind of convince even yourself that Instagram or social media or influencing is something that will be stable, whereas mm-hmm. the world is changing. And so once yeah. you convince yourself and you're you're convinced, and then it's a matter of convincing your parents, but what do you set out to do with your, I guess there's two aspects of it. Firstly, you're influencing on Instagram and your fashion, but then the other aspect is working with brands.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I have like lists in my head. I have my personal passions and then I have my career, bad boss <laughs> <laughs> things that I'm like, this is, this is incredible. So I have like I've always dreamt of like doing fashion weeks. And I actually attended my first ever fashion week this year, which was Sydney Fashion Week. Amazing. And I was like, I love this. I want to do them everywhere else. Maybe not Paris, because they're a bit, you know, rude. But um London <laughs> and <Rude>. New York. <laughs> London and New York, the doors are open. I'm looking. Would love that. Um, and then I have like working with brands that I think need hijabi Muslim representation. And I'm sitting there like, would love to work with you. Who knows if that will happen? Never say never. I love doing campaigns. They're my most favorite thing to do because I feel like there's always a story attached to it, which is very important to me because I don't want to ever do work that's just simply for the money and the traction of it. I really want to have a story attached to it and have a narrative attached to it. Traveling, learning more stories, finding more avenues that need impact. More places that need the hard conversation, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think if COVID taught me anything, it's to not plan.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna gonna just go with the flow. (laughs) But I do think the goals you have are beyond, but also attainable, which says a lot about you and your career. They're all things that are within reach, and and um, and I think yeah, I'm really excited to see your the progression of your career um you. where do you see yourself in five years
1: Ooh, hopefully not in sydney because mm. <laughs> maybe unless paris switches things up <laughs> becomes nicer to women we'll see but um maybe i can see myself overseas maybe new york that sounds fun I've, i a, i want to be i want to like walk around busy i've got a meeting <laughs> you know like a boss babe vibe you know So I can see myself not being in Sydney. I can see myself um, working on something really exciting. I'd love to have a book. I'd love to like connect
0: with more women. What kind of obstacles have you faced in terms of getting to where you are, whether that's from society? Did you face any backlash from either people in the community or people online?
1: I think a mix of both. I'm grateful that I haven't had really negative experiences, which I've heard from a lot of other influencers. But for me, from my community, it was, I think I dressed a bit too eccentric or a bit too creative for what was the norm at the time. Um, And when I was thrifting and wearing pieces that were fashionable, but maybe not so much in the modest fashion industry, I was just called weird and like too masculine. Like Weird things, and I think now, gratefully, like because of TikTok and all that stuff, things have definitely changed. When we were working in retail in the area, that's fairly Middle Eastern, it was like I was stupid for not knowing Arabic, <laughs> so it was like that. um But then I think with social media, it's people like to police how you dress. Always, you're never going to escape right. it. You're wearing too much. You're not wearing enough. Too much makeup. Not enough makeup. Um, mm. And then it's also people how do you who deal with are that? racist. Oh, really? I've had that. I've even had brands not like how vocal I am about humanitarian issues. I've had cancel collaborations because of that. They want you as an thing.
0: accessory but not as a voice. Yeah,
1: They love when we have Muslim women except when they talk. <laughs>
0: Is that yeah, no, that's yeah. terrible. How do you deal with like hate online?
1: I would love to say like I don't even like pay attention, but I am very hands-on and I check my social media a bit too much during the day. Yeah, I go through my emails, I go through my DMs, I can't ignore it. And I'm lucky enough where I can just block and then I'll forget about it because of my memory. Um, but sometimes I feel like replying to people and I sometimes do have fights online with people because I think they forget you're human and from my perspective i'm like why would you say that to me like of course i'm gonna reply to you like i'm not kim kardashian i'm gonna see your message and i'm going to be upset with you but then i have people like my partner or my sister be like to me but they don't think that you're gonna see it like they've disconnected you from being a human because of your following whatever it is but i'm like but i'm not like but I'm not Kylie Jenner, like I. <laughs> but it's just because I'm on the other side of things, where I'm like,
0: it's confusing. I don't think it warrants it either. Like, even if you work in yeah. Kardashian, it's like, I mean, yeah. it's 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 a matter of like, if people are disconnecting it, then why did they need to say it to you? Just go on a Reddit forum and just talk about it. I I don't get it. And it's also like,
1: I've had people say mean things. Even like I remember in fashion week I wore an outfit that was just like not very flattering. I loved it. I looked a bit pregnant, okay? So I got comments asking if I was pregnant, DMs. And I remember I I deleted them cuz I was like I don't even want to see this and I can delete it if I want to. And then I got some DMs and I replied and I'm like, "You know, you don't say this to a woman. Like, why would you say that? Why would you say and that like, even oh, I'm if so you were?" Yeah, I'm like you- and exactly. And they're like, oh, "I'm so sorry. I love you. Big fan." I'm like, <laughs> uh <laughs> love you too yeah, yeah <laughs> please don't say that you know there's always there's always something it's never gonna go away maybe if instagram can like be better yeah. which is interesting they have so much filters on talking about covid i'm mm-hmm. like why don't we adapt that to like racism yeah that's or, like files actually... <laughs> that is so Ex-assault. like
0: yeah that's so interesting because yeah immediately as soon as covid became a thing it was mm-hmm. like, yep, immediate filter. Even if you say like Rona, it pops up. Yep, exactly. Even if it's like a tag down the bottom being like this word has been used and like yep. so please take it with a pinch of salt. Like Yep. Yeah, I think um I think there's a like the whole social media needing to have a place in the law is like a very slow burning thing and then once the law catches up, social media would have moved on, TikTok would be the next thing and then it's just never mm-hmm. going to catch up. And so never. unfortunately it's the emotional labour of, you know, diverse influencers to have to deal with the hate, which mm-hmm. is really horrible. But, yeah, um, yeah. but you are doing amazing and I do think that the work that you've done in modest fashion particularly but also just as a representative is something that would, I think it's something that is not only impactful for a Hijabi women because while that's really important and that's you know obviously the first thing as a as a brown woman I mean looking at someone diverse on screen or you know being an influencer or anything like that I, I I look up to you and I think that a lot of people would because. You know, if you can do it, we can do it. Yeah, I think it's a really good, um, it's a good kind of segue into um, my last question for you, which is, what do, what didn't what can non-Muslim communities and non-Muslim people, particularly people of color who are not Muslim, what mm-hmm. can we do to support you, but also to understand um and progress equality i guess Mm -hmm.
1: i think from a creative social media perspective um i think it would be so impactful if muslim creatives muslim narratives are amplified because i feel like especially in Australia it's still such a niche thing and mm. it's just like really like a i would love to be on set and have a muslim photographer a muslim stylist all these types of things behind the scenes or alongside me so from a creative media perspective i would say let's amplify connect look out scout mm.
0: specifically
1: um but i think in general as a community i think it's just listening it comes down to being peaceful, understanding, looking at, doing research, um, talking to your neighbour—all these types of things make such a difference um, and break down so many barriers, so many stigmas. So that would—that's the best, the biggest thing, I think. And
0: passing the mic, I guess, which is exactly, exactly. what the media got wrong. Well, I think that's all the time we have. But Nawal, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks um, for having
0: me. Where can everyone find you on Instagram?
1: My handles on everything is just N-A-W-A-L, sorry.
0: So. Well it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> and you can follow us at Uncultured Pod on Instagram. See you next time.